Welcome to Simplify Your Retirement with Certified Financial Planner Stephen Strickland from Wise Wealth LLC. In this podcast, we help individuals and couples plan for a peaceful and enjoyable retirement. Join us on this journey where we explore the importance of simplifying the retirement planning process as Stephen, with his years of experience and expertise in retirement income planning, along with guest experts, will help you achieve first wisdom, then wealth. And don't forget to check out the Simplify Your Retirement online course and other great resources at SimplifyYourRetirement.com. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Simplify Your Retirement with Stephen Strickland from Wise Wealth. Stephen, it is so good to talk to you again. Eric, it's always great to talk to you. Glad to be on the podcast again. Yeah, I, I'm, again, super excited. Uh, I, I've met you, obviously. We've been working together for a while, and Paul is is fantastic. He's on your team. He helps with the production of this podcast. Uh, and last episode, you introduced us to one of your team members, and today you're going to do the same thing, and that's Ben Malik today, correct? Absolutely. Uh, so excited to be able to introduce uh, to our audience some of the great team members that we have here at Wise Wealth. And uh, as you mentioned in our last podcast, we, we talked with uh, Samantha uh, Compton, an outstanding financial advisor with the team. And today we're excited to talk to introduce everybody to uh, Ben Malik. And I know that you're going to actually be introducing more team members starting in the next season as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's awesome. I think it's important. You know, we all share the same philosophy. We all share the same approach here. And uh, everyone really on this team is 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 qualified, is competent, is, uh, is, is an educator. They know how to teach these materials and they know the principles uh, just as well as I do. So I'm, I'm excited to introduce uh, our Simplify Your Retirement podcast audience to uh, the team, the great team that we have here at uh, Wise Wealth. All right. I, I'm excited to learn and, and hear about Ben. So take it away, and, and I'm going to sit back with the rest of the audience and learn. All right. Well, we're excited to have uh, Ben Malik on the podcast today. Um, uh, for those of you who are just joining us on the Simplify Retirement Podcast, uh, this is season two. And in the first season of Simplify Retirement Podcast, we really went over the basics of what everyone really needs to know in order to put together a, a financial plan or retirement income plan that leads to peace of mind. And, and in that first season, uh, it was all foundation. We, we pretty much you know touched the surface of all these issues. And the purpose really of season number two is to take a deeper dive into all the issues that we introduced in season one. And so those of you who have been a part of this uh, podcast series know, notice that in season two, we've had a lot more guests. Season one was mostly me just talking and teaching and uh, giving everybody the principles. Season two, we've had different guests come on and most of the guests we've had on so far are guests that are, you know, third party. They have certain areas of expertise uh, that they bring to the table. And so I've been excited to introduce them and to interview them. But now in the last podcast and today, I'm glad to be able to introduce people that are on our own team. And one of them is Ben. And so Ben, I'm just going to introduce, you know, Ben to the team. I mean, sorry, to the podcast. I want everyone to get to know who he is and what he does. And then I've got some specific questions I want to talk to Ben today about the investments. And so, like I just mentioned in season one, we talked about investments, generally speaking. Uh, but today we're going to go into a little bit deeper on, you know, portfolio construction and really how to you know build a solid investment plan. So first, Ben, glad you joined me today in the podcast. So I want to ask you, so the audience knows, how long have you been working as a financial advisor? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on and uh, been working in this industry for Almost 13 years now, wow. a little over 12 years, and awesome. um, enjoy it. It's good. Yeah. It's a good place to be. 
Yep. And so what what was it 13 years ago uh, that made you say, hey, you know, this is what I want to do. You know, this is what I'm passionate about. What was it about the industry and this profession that 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 made you want to to go all in? Maybe a little bit of a story here, but uh, back in college, I was in college to be a recreational sports teacher. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> PE. Let's, yes, right. I, I basically wanted to play ping pong and pickleball against right. high school kids all day. And get paid yeah. for it. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then uh, in college, somebody handed me a Dave Ramsey book and started reading that uh, through the course of reading that, creating a budget. I kind of just became a budget nerd and and really dug into that. And then it interested me in finance. So mm. I took a finance class and one thing led to another, got really interested in the finance industry, uh, serving other people and, and helping them mm-hmm. kind of with some of the stuff that I learned and discovered. And and so uh, the rest is history. Just came out of college and, yeah. and started in the industry and, and just have yeah. enjoyed it ever since. Very interesting. Uh, really, you know, uh, Samantha was on last time. Um, I've told my story. And so me, you, and Samantha actually came to this industry from other careers, uh, let's say, and other or passions or other goals that we had in life. But the, the main thing that brought all three of us here is the fact that we ourselves learned, we ourselves, you know, got, you know, the financial help that we needed, and we realized how valuable it was to us. And then we wanted to pass it on to other people. So I find that very interesting and never really even thought about it until sitting right here just hearing you basically say the same thing that she said. And that is when she went through it herself. All of a sudden she said, hey, I think I can help other people do this. I think that's awesome. Um, so, you know, what what would you say drives you, motivates you? What are you passionate about in general and, and in this industry? Yeah, so I think well, we're in a services industry and, and serving other people is what we do. And mm-hmm. even at a higher level, just when I think about business and, and the potential for business to impact people in a positive way, you think about all the people who are impacted by business in, mm-hmm. in general, yep. uh, customers, employees, you know, lenders, yep. investors, communities. Um, it, it's just – it's a broad swath of people and business has the potential to really uh, – create a lot of positive change in, in our world today. And, and a lot of the issues that our world faces, I think, can be solved by intentional uh, business. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's something that really excites me and that I get really passionate about and just being able to serve other people and see how it impacts their lives. I appreciate that. You know, some of the key words that, that, I, that I took from uh, that statement you just made, uh, what stands out to me is service, impact, um, intentionality. That's awesome. Um, and, and certainly that's, that's what you do here, uh, for the firm wise wealth, but also I can see that with your clients. Um, and that's great. It's all about service. It's all about making an impact and doing it, you know, with intention. And then, so, you know, you're a certified financial analyst. And so what, what is the CFA designation? Uh, why did you pursue that? Out of all the, you know, designations someone can get out there, what made you pursue the CFA and, you know, how to use that, I guess, now? Yeah, so it's it stands for, I think you mentioned, Chartered Financial Analyst. Uh, so it is a really deep dive into uh, financial analysis, investment analysis, portfolio management. Um, it's hundreds of hours of study, mm. three tests. I think you have to have four years of professional, relevant mm-hmm. professional experience. Um, 
And so it's very practical for building and maintaining portfolios mm-hmm. So and, and investing. So it, it because of its relevance, because of how uh, it, it was an inch wide and a mile deep, right. uh, I really wanted to dig in and become competent and – in that area, and uh, you know, the many years ago when I, I went through that process, uh, it, it definitely has been uh, helpful in mm-hmm. in the uh, my ability to manage and maintain portfolios. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, chartered financial analyst. I know there's actually not that many in in the United States of America. In other words, this is a highly you know skilled. Uh, certification and designation to be able to get. Someone can't just graduate from high school and become a CFA. Most of you know that I am a certified financial planner and Ben is a chartered financial advisor, two different things. Uh, what would you say is the difference between a, uh, a CFP and a CFA, if, if anybody in the audience wants to know? I'd be interested in hearing your answer to that question. Yeah, so CFP and CFA. So I kind of joke around. <laughs> anybody outside the financial industry uh-huh. doesn't know what a CFA right. is. Uh, people know what a CFP is, mm-hmm. but CFA no. But inside the financial industry, uh, people mm. think you're really smart if you have a CFA. Right. I'm not. I just studied a lot, right? I That's mean, right. but people think you know the CFA because it is so difficult to mm-hmm. get, and it's very specific. Um, yeah, it, it's very different than the CFP, which is yeah. very planning focused. CFP right. is certified financial planner. Mm. You're you're focusing on building financial plans for right. people, which is very all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whereas the CFA is more portfolio management and really digging in on the investments piece. Yep. And so that's, I would yep. say, the main difference there. Yep, absolutely. And that's why it's great to have uh, Ben on our team. Uh, we've got uh, we've got both perspectives. Ben's taking a deeper dive into the uh, portfolios, into uh, the, the, uh, the investment models, making sure they're efficient and so forth. And whereas I'm looking out for the, uh, the planning in general. So both of us uh, work together great. We both work uh, with all of our advisors here on the team at Wise Wealth, and so it's been uh, it's been great to, to have Ben with his skills as a, a CFA, you know, on the team. You know, you know, there's CFAs, there's you know, accountants. I always joke around and say, a C, you know, why would someone become a CFA really instead of an, an accountant or a, you know, a CPA? And I just look at a CFA as a, an accountant, you know, with a personality. I think that's the mm-hmm. biggest difference. So most CPAs, and if you're a CPA listening to the call, do not be uh, offended by that comment. But uh, but a CFA, you know, kind of is is that type of personality where they get into the weeds, they look at the numbers, take a dig, uh, you know, a, a digger, uh, a bigger dive into the portfolios and analysis. And uh, but you can do it with a uh, with a sense of humor. And a, uh, and a personality. So I want to talk to you in, in more in depth now about in the investments, about portfolio construction. I know a lot of people um, are interested in investing. Most people would be listening to this podcast, obviously probably have investments. And so I thought it'd be good to talk to you today just about what goes into um, investment models and into building a portfolio. So I would just start by asking you this question, and that is what are the key elements of building an optimal portfolio, and maybe we can talk about what that means, or even an efficient portfolio. Yeah, so really three things that we uh, that we look at. Uh, one is diversification. So we want to make sure that you know we're diversified. This is not a new concept. Uh, t- over twenty five hundred years ago, in the Book of Ecclesiastes, it says, "Invest in seven ventures or eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land." I mean, that's mm-hmm. the purpose of diversification. We all kind of get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, 
the second piece uh, that's somewhat related is is this idea of correlation. Mm-hmm. And so this concept is, you know, some of us are familiar with it, but when we're talking about investments, uh, if two things move exactly the same, they're said to have a correlation of one. Mm-hmm. If two things move in exact opposite ways, it's negative one. Mm-hmm. And if there's no pattern whatsoever to how these two assets move together, then it's a correlation of zero. Hmm. And so what we want to do is build a portfolio of assets that are not correlated. So we don't want a lot of correlation, which leads to higher risk-adjusted returns, essentially. So so that's the second piece. And then the last piece is what I just mentioned. We are looking to maximize risk-adjusted returns. And that's what, you know, this this idea of an optimal portfolio or efficient portfolio goes back to modern portfolio theory. Mm -hmm. And um, there, when, when you kind of graph it out, there's a line called the efficient frontier. Right. And we're trying to build portfolios that fall on that efficient frontier. Which basically is getting the rate of return that you should be getting based on the risk that you're taking. Correct. So you're, you're basically trying to maximize the amount of returns for a given level of risk. That's okay. the idea of falling on that efficient frontier okay. and building an optimal portfolio. Okay. And then what makes it what makes it fit on that efficient frontier is how diversified it is. Like you mentioned, number one and number two, how correlated those different asset classes are. So someone could be diversified, but still have low correlation Correct. Or, or, or they move the same direction. Okay. So you got to have both yes. to make it efficient. Yes. Okay. Correct. Very important. So modern portfolio theory, you just mentioned that that's something obviously that you ascribe to. Yes. That's what yeah. we believe in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it um, basically it's a, a theory from back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Markowitz, mm-hmm. a Nobel Prize winning economist, yep. based on his research in this area, won a Nobel Prize. Okay, so, you know, it's very well known in the industry, right. um, used in almost every investment shop around the, right. the country. Uh, been tested and questioned at times, you know, in right. 2008 when all correlations of different assets went towards one where they right. all moved together and we kind of know what direction that together was. They mm-hmm. were all going down at right. the same time. Uh, people were questioning modern portfolio theory, but but at the end of the day, it works. I mean, yeah. you know, at times we do see where correlations go to one and, and we see assets move in the same direction, uh, but over yeah. long periods of time, uh, modern yeah. portfolio theory works. Right. And so, so yes, I, I do ascribe to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes, though, it can detract us from maybe looking at investing in a way, maybe at its base mm-hmm. level, we're supplying capital to businesses. That's, right. that's what investing at its base level is. Right. And modern portfolio theory is excellent. It works. But sometimes focusing on that can take away from right. that, that concept of supplying capital to business, which right. is what we're doing with investing. Right, exactly. That's a good point. Um, yeah, it takes it from a different level. You're just focused on one thing, but really all investing is owning mm-hmm. part ownership in these businesses. So uh, what would you say are the key metrics to use to analyze or compare portfolios? If you're looking at you know, one set of portfolios to another, you know, what, what are the key things that people should be looking at to determine whether or not they have a good portfolio, if we want to call it that? What makes a good portfolio? What are we looking at? Is it returns? Is it the, the benchmarks that you know, we're trying to, to, to evaluate or beat, in essence, or standard deviation? Yeah, so I would argue um, this, this idea of looking at 
information to try to determine good portfolios, one thing we need to keep in mind is we're always looking at past data. Right. Uh, which is interesting because all this data we're looking at is past data to try to evaluate this investment. But investing is 100% about the future. Mm-hmm. Just think about that for a minute. Right. 100% about the future. We're making decisions today Ugh. based on information that we know from the past, which may help inform the future. But we want to make sure also that the processes and the methodologies that were used in the past mm-hmm. will continue in the future. That gives us more confidence in that past data. Right. So that said – uh, using past data is good mm-hmm. as long as we're confident that who, whatever manager is managing the portfolio maintains the same methodologies and processes. Going forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that said, when looking at performance, we want to make sure a couple things. We're, we're comparing apples to apples. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you're comparing – if you have a balanced portfolio and you're comparing it to the S&P 500 – you're looking at the wrong thing. So what, what what's a balanced portfolio? So a balanced portfolio might be a portfolio that just at a very simple level, mm-hmm. let's just say it's 50% stock type holdings mm-hmm. and 50% bond type holdings. Okay. okay. Well, the S&P 500 is 100% mm-hmm. large cap US-based stocks. And so if you hold international companies in the portfolio, that's not a good, me- that's not a right. good comparison. If you hold small mid-sized companies in the portfolio it's not a good comparison or like like I said if you hold bonds in the portfolio it's not a good comparison so we want to make sure that we're looking at a comparable mm-hmm. benchmark not something that has right. no the, the makeup is completely different so people see the SP 500 it's obviously on the news and get it on your phone it, it, people tend to use that as the as the benchmark. They look at a portfolio that they have and they say, well, the SP 500 was up this year, this amount. My portfolio was only up this amount. Why is that? And, and you just explain that. The answer is, well, if you have a balance, if you have a balanced portfolio or even a diversified portfolio, it should never be tracking directly with the S&P 500 unless you have no correlation, like you mentioned earlier, or there's no diversification. If you had all U.S. large cap stocks in your portfolio, then the, the SP 500 is the right benchmark. Correct. But if you have anything beyond U.S. large companies in your portfolio, the S&P 500 is not the correct benchmark. Why is that important? And then, you know, what is the correct benchmark for a diversified portfolio? Yeah, so it's important because you're you're just comparing things that aren't comparable. Right. I mean, you can't do that in any area of life. And, right. and in investing, it makes no sense. Yep. Uh, and, and so – What we do internally when Mm -hmm. we're evaluating our portfolios is we use a blended benchmark Mm -hmm. that looks like our portfolios. And so we want to make sure that uh, if our portfolios hold these different asset classes, so does our blended benchmark. And then we can kind of compare, okay, how are we doing against this benchmark? Now we're comparing apples to apples and seeing how we perform compared to that. Right. So when you talk about, you know, diversification in these weighted benchmarks, so we're talking about – in a in a efficient portfolio, in an optimized portfolio, modern portfolio theory, we're talking about a portfolio that's diversified and that has low correlation. How many asset classes, you know, does it take? You know, how how many asset classes should someone be diversified into to be efficient? Do you think? Is there is there a number? Is there a certain number of asset classes? There's not a number, and this is kind of a gray area mm-hmm. in the industry because if you think about it, y- you can really get granular here. Mm-hmm. So some people think you need to break out 
real estate or mm-hmm. uh, commodities and as a separate asset class. And some people think, well, I have exposure to all those by owning all these different companies mm-hmm. because they own their own real estate or their commodities uh, might be an input cost to their mm-hmm. business or things like that. And so um, there, there's some debate in the industry mm-hmm. about whether or not you have to include or exclude certain asset classes. Okay. But generally speaking, there are several asset classes that we can say are, are – um, pretty typical to find right. in most portfolios. And like you you mentioned already, there's U.S., there's international, there's emerging markets, there's sizes, large, medium, small. So diversifying means, you know, putting in all these different categories. And then when you say, what do we compare it to? And we compare it because we want to make sure that, you know, the portfolio is efficient. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's getting the risk-adjusted returns. And I guess that's why we compare it to these benchmarks. And so when you say weighted benchmark, you're saying that if I have a portfolio that is, 20% U.S. large company stocks, we compare that to a benchmark, you know, that's U.S. large company stocks, 20% of that value. And so you're comparing every single asset class to a benchmark. But what what funds are, or what makes up the benchmark? Is it just generally ETFs or, you know, what generally makes up the, a benchmark that we're looking at? Yeah, so there are published benchmarks out there. Yep. So Morningstar is one that we use that has its own benchmarks. Um, and they're made of different indexes mm-hmm. or indices out there. Yep. Um, so, yeah, these benchmarks, we get as close as we can. Right. It's never going to be perfect, yep. but we try to get as close as we can to each of these asset classes yep. to make sure that we're comparing things yep. that make sense to compare. So, yeah, the, we, we use Morningstar. There's several benchmark providers yep. out there that, that provide these benchmarks yep. that you can yep. uh, compare against. So when we're looking at our portfolios, and you brought up a great point earlier, and that is, you know, anytime you're looking at a – you know, a performance report or a summary or a fact sheet of any investment, you're always looking at the past. It's always the past. And so when you're looking at these, when we're comparing a portfolio, let's say that you have built as a portfolio manager, um, if we're looking at versus the weighted benchmark, you know, what are we looking to determine how well we're doing? And we're looking at, you know, our performance versus the weighted benchmark. Obviously, that's an important one. We're looking at, uh, you know, how much risk we're taking versus how much risk they're taking. What are you looking at when you're comparing the portfolios you're building to these weighted benchmarks? Yep, you're exactly right. We, we look at performance. We want to see how the portfolios are performing in relation to the risk that we're taking with that portfolio. So we want to make sure that we're not taking excessive risk to get those mm-hmm. returns, that we're taking risk comparable to the benchmark right. to get those returns. And yeah. so our our goal is to basically get the most risk-adjusted return that we can get for each stated level of risk. Mm-hmm. And so that that's it. I mean, at yep. the end of the day, yep. there, there are many different metrics you can look at to try to right. figure that out. Right. But that's at the end of the day what we're trying to do. Exactly. So if someone's trying to get 8% per year, that's the goal. We know that there's there's a risky way to do it. There are certain investments you can buy that can get you 8% a year. But our goal here is what's the least amount of risk to get someone to 8% per year if that's the goal. Correct. And as you know, uh, 8% a year means 8% a year over a long period of time. It doesn't mean 8% year after year. <laughs> Fixed yeah. rate. Yes. Yeah. Yes, correct. Over time, the average annual. Okay, good. So when people are investing, that's extremely helpful. People understand you know, the three parts to making sure you have an efficient portfolio. I think that's great. And then, so, you know, people have these portfolios, maybe they have, you know, a, you know, an asset allocation model, maybe they're investing through their own 401k. Um, what do you believe has the biggest a- impact on the average investor's returns? Is it that they're not 
diversified? Is it is it something else? What impacts normal average investors' returns over anything else? Yeah, so I'm going to give you three things again because okay. I know you like I things like three. in threes. That's yeah, helpful. So here you go. Uh, <laughs> asset allocation is, yep. is one big one. Um, makes up a large portion of your returns. Uh, time. So yeah, yeah. time, how long do you have to let this money grow? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one is actually investor behavior. Mm. So, uh, and I know you have some things to say about that probably, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, those are the three big ones that those make big. up the biggest uh, okay. return difference. That determines your return. So yep. um, let's talk about the first one. Um, I like the list of three, hopefully remember. So asset allocation, again, just, you know, Generally speaking, what do you mean by that asset allocation? So as we talked about modern portfolio theory and different asset classes and correlations. Mm -hmm. So basically taking all of this together, using these different asset classes uh, that are not directly correlated Mm -hmm. to build a diversified portfolio. So getting the asset allocation mix, Mm -hmm. so an aggressive portfolio versus a conservative portfolio – uh, might hold the same exact investments, mm-hmm. just in different proportions. And so yes. that proportion of each of those investments is the asset allocation. That yep. makes up a larger percentage of the returns. Than, that's huge. Yeah. And, and again, we like to tell people here, that's real, that is the first step in investing. It's determining what should be your asset allocation. Most people go directly into mutual fund selection or stock selection. They, they like to look at the Lipper averages and Morningstar stars and all these things. But it really, the first thing that determines your rate of return is how is your money allocated? That has to be done right to be able to get the return you need that's good. So then you mentioned time. Um, and we obviously know the longer time someone invests, the more likely they are to get those average rates of returns that have been there historically. And so that one's easier. But the third one I want to go into, uh, which is what you mentioned, um, investor behavior. And so, yeah, this is something that I obviously look at my clients. You know, a lot of times the thing that affects our investment returns more than anything else is the person we look at in the mirror every morning. And and how do – what do we mean by this? And how does our, our own behavior impact our investment returns? Well, at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're dealing with money. And for a lot of people, money is emotional. It's, you know, you're, you've saved your whole life a lot of times for, for this uh, nest egg. And it's sitting there and it's in the market, it's invested, mm-hmm. and you're watching it go up and down. And that's very emotional for many people um, and, and especially people who don't have a plan in place. They, so there's no mm-hmm. purpose. They don't have right. a stated purpose for this money and so it, it scares them even more, mm-hmm. uh, I think. So there's just a lot of uh, emotion tied to, to money and to investing mm-hmm. and a lot of times when we see big swings one way or the other – we tend to make decisions mm-hmm. uh, that might not be optimal, uh, right. <laughs> right, for our portfolios. Yes. That's the nice way of saying that. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. It relates to the other two. I think when people, you know, start to get emotional, like you just said, uh, you tend to make investment decisions based on fear and greed and not these yep. technical reasons why we invest to begin with. And what the goals are for it, right. like you said, what the goal is for each investment. And then I think what happens is people tend to then mess with the other two key components that you mentioned. Once we get emotional or we get fearful or greedy, we mess with the asset allocation. People tend to overweight and underweight or get in the market, get out of the market. That's all about asset allocation. 
which is one of the primary determining factors for your rate of return, which you said earlier. And the other one is time. People now all of a sudden, you know, the time frame to get these rates of returns might be five years or longer. Now all of a sudden because of, you know, an election or because of current events, they don't follow the time frame that they should be following and therefore they don't get the results they want. Um, you know about, you know, Dalbar, obviously Dalbar does the research every year on portfolio returns. And I'm always amazed when I see that report because yeah. they just look at the average investor's return over 20 year periods of time. And, you know, the average investor's returns is always well underperforming just even a 60, 40 portfolio mix or even the S&P 500. And, and it's really not because they're still invested in the same markets per se, but they tend to get in, they tend to get out, they tend to overweight, underweight, or anything like that. Any, any other comments about, you know, that behavioral finance? Yeah, so I think this is maybe where the value of the bucket system through mm -hmm. Wise Wealth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anyone who's who's come to Wise Wealth and worked with the team here knows the buckets pretty well. And that's the value of the buckets to mm -hmm. me is – it helps investors and clients understand that what the purpose of this money is that we're investing. And so it helps you overcome any any time-related issues, right? Because you know this is long-term money and it helps you overcome any of these investor behavior issues uh, because you have a purpose for this money. It's right. not just sitting out there and you're watching it go up and down. It, it is – there's a reason why mm -hmm. we're investing it the way we're investing it. And so – I think it the value of that for investors is huge. It and, is huge. And so that that's a big component of of what we do here. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, very important. You know, people that have a plan versus people that don't have a plan. People who know why their money is invested the way that it is, and people that don't makes a big difference in being successful when it comes to stock market investing. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to your heart, especially and mine as well. It's uh, There's a new world, I would say a new world. It's been around for a while now, but for people that don't have never heard of this or don't understand what this is, how would you describe like biblically responsible investing? Some people call it impact investing. Some people call it faith-driven investing. How would you describe that world of investing? Yeah, so there's many names for it, you mm. know, uh, but... <laughs> It goes back to what you said a little bit earlier. At the foundation of it, investing is ownership. Mm -hmm. And so when we see that when we are investing, whether it's through a fund, ETF, buying a stock, we're taking a small ownership stake in a company. Um, and, and so what does ownership mean? Uh, basically, it, it confers some sort of responsibility on our part. Mm -hmm. We are responsible in some way for what that company does and how we're profiting from that business. So the, I think biblically responsible investing, faith-driven investing, whatever you want to call it, it, it just asks this question, what kinds of companies do I own and are those companies profiting from the addictions or abuses of others or are they adding value to the lives of others? And that's, that's really the question I think biblically responsible investing asks. Um, and so, yeah, it just looks to invest in companies that are adding value rather than extracting value. Right. So in addition to being diversified, low correlation and risk adjusted returns, we're adding another set of questions to these investments that are available to us and saying, like you just said, are they adding value? Are they doing good? Are they are they promoting, you know, the good of society, not tearing it down? Like, those are great questions to ask. Who, who should consider investing like this? Who benefits from investing using this approach? Is this approach only for people that, you know, you know, feel like they, they need to invest like this? Or is this investment strategy good for anybody? Yeah, so this, for us, I mean, 
it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we believe. Yep. But it's also the smart thing to do. <laughs> so it, it doesn't – while the obvious answer might be it, it it's for anyone who holds a Christian worldview, mm-hmm. um, really any investor can benefit from this approach because yeah. the, these principles, I, I think – Many people can argue about the merits of, of these principles, but right. nobody can say they're dumb. Right. You know, they're smart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so yep. it, it really, whether explicitly or implicitly, biblical values applied to business are just value additive right. in, in the long run. And so we believe this approach can work for anyone. Exactly. And then so you you are the portfolio manager for Bright Portfolios, which is uh, asset allocation models, diversified portfolios, everything that we talked about today, all of your experience, all of your training, you know, all these principles, whether it's, you know, values driven, like we just talked about versus efficient, you know, portfolios, like we talked about earlier, all these things you brought together into one thing that we call bright portfolios, which are asset allocation, diversified portfolio models built on uh, efficient frontier, but also, you know, biblical values. Uh, so can you just give us a brief overview of what you're trying to accomplish in these models for bright portfolios? Yeah, so you just gave a great overview okay. there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right. good. it's good. Bringing these things together. <laughs> yep. This So this is modern portfolio theory and values-driven investing, and, and we kind of bring them together. Um, basically, our, our whole goal with this is to provide low-cost, biblically responsible investing portfolios uh, to, to maximize risk-adjusted returns. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly everything we've been talking right. about is the goal of these portfolios. And so uh, that, that's it. Right. And uh, Ben does a great job, you know, building these portfolios and managing the portfolios. They've done well. I, I like to tell people that we're striving for what I call, quote, unquote, good returns. Everybody wants good returns from their portfolios, from their investments. And most times what people mean by that is performance. And certainly part of good returns is performance. But also what our definition of good returns is goes beyond performance. It goes to uh, feeling good about who you own, feeling good that the companies that you're investing in are also trying to promote the welfare of society, trying to do good in the world. Uh, trying to not produce products that are harmful to people. And so you should get good returns. And that does mean performance, but that also means um, doing good with what you're owning and being a partner of. So thank you for that, Ben. Really appreciate it. Glad you came on the podcast today. Appreciate what you do for uh, right portfolios uh, for your clients and for Wise Wealth. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. This has been fantastic. Ben, uh, again, I loved hearing your views on things, and I, I want to echo what Stephen said. I, I know you said it in jest, Stephen, about accountants, but Ben does yeah. have a great personality, man. This, is, <laughs> this has been a great podcast. That's right. Thank all you. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being on the show. And Stephen, of course, thank you for introducing all of us to another fantastic team member. Of course, we wouldn't be here without you, the listening audience. We want to thank you for tuning in and listening to the Simplify Your Retirement podcast with Stephen Strickland. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Stephen comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Wise Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Simplify Your Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wise Wealth LLC or Simplify Your Retirement. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of a financial advisor or other qualified financial professionals with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.